Well, if you would now, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Thanks, Marie, for reading that. And it's a great psalm. I encourage you, if you've never read Psalm 119, the whole psalm is the longest psalm in the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible, because it's all about the Word of God and extolling and dwelling and meditating. In fact, the Hebrew alphabet, you'll see the headers, Aleph, Beth, and so forth. It, it, every little section there is a letter of the alphabet. So it's kind of like an acrostic of sorts. But as we drop into Acts 17 today, we're seeing Paul move from Philippi to Berea. And we see this church that's been called a noble church. They're more noble than the other synagogue that Paul just visited because of the way they relate to the word of God, because of the way they relate to God's word, the scriptures, which is why we read Psalm 119 this morning. And so I've entitled today's sermon, A More Noble Faith, because I want to look at this church closely, or really it was a synagogue, and these Jewish and other believers there who engaged the word of God and how they engaged it to see how we can grow in our own faith and nobility because God holds this forward to us as an example that we should emulate. So I'm going to be preaching out of verses 10 through 16 this morning. So if you have a Bible, it'll be chapter 17, verses 10 through 16. In our preaching series, we're going verse by verse through the book of Acts with the series called Life on Mission. So Paul has just been snuck out of Thessalonica. There was a group there that was not happy with him. So in verse 10, I'll just read the first few verses to get us started to verse 12 and then pray for us. But you see in verse 10, it says the brothers, this is referring to the brothers in Thessalonica, immediately sent Paul and Silas, this is the missionary band, the apostle Paul, away by night to Berea. And so they are traveling about 50 miles southwest. It's about a two-day journey to a town called Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. That's exactly where they were in Thessalonica. This is Paul's practice to go to the Jewish synagogue first. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Listen to this. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Let's pray. A more noble faith. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is life, that your word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. We thank you that we have access to your revealed word, Lord, the revelation of scripture, and Lord, that each one of us have access to Bibles. And if we don't, there's many in the pews that we can pick up and take home with us even today, Lord. We are a wealthy people because we have your word. And so, Lord, we pray that the nobility of these Bereans would spill into our lives, that the character and qualities, Lord, that you commend through the scriptures inspired by your spirit to draw our eyes and attention to them, Lord, that that would then map its way onto and emblazon its way into our own hearts, our own souls, that we would have a truly a more noble faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week as I was praying, preparing and praying for today's sermon, I felt led to go to Google Maps. So I opened up Google Maps and typed Berean in Google Maps. And I don't know if this would surprise you, but about 10 churches within a stone's throw, about a 50-mile radius, have the name of Berean in there. There's Berean Bible Church, Berean Baptist Church, Berean Presbyterian Church, Berean Community Church, Berean, 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 Berean. If you're new to Christianity, you say, why do all these churches like the word Berean in their name? 
you've now landed on the very passage where we meet the Bereans. <laughs> and so we see throughout the ages, Christians, if they've been called a Berean, it was a compliment. Coming right out of here and just saying, man, this person really gets their nose in the Bible and studies it closely. This is the passion passage where the Bereans are elevated before our eyes in contrast, unfortunately, to Thessalonica. I guess at Thessalonica, they just listened to the Bible one day a week and kind of were not interested. By contrast, the Bereans have much more of a voracious appetite for the word. It says that they're more noble. And the Greek word there for noble, if you have the King James Version or the New King James, it says that they're more fair-minded. Or the New Living Translated, they were more open-minded. They were more noble-minded than these other people. They, they had an, an eagerness and a receptivity that elevated the way that their minds and ultimately their faith worked because in verse 12 it says, many of them therefore believed. And so as I've called today's sermon a more noble faith, I want to look at their belief, their faith. What about them does the Holy Spirit, does God by his Spirit inspire in this text for us that we might emulate? And it's really very clear, but I want to walk around really verses 11 and 12, and then we'll round out the end of the sermon all the way to verse 16. So if you're taking notes, there's three qualities of their faith, three elements of their faith that is exalted or clarified, made explicit from the text what makes their faith more noble that we can emulate in our lives. So the first way their faith is noble is a more noble faith. First, it receives God's word eagerly. So again, if you don't have a place to take notes, grab that little journal. Those are free as well. Fill that out. What it says in the beginning of verse 11 is they receive God's word eagerly. Verse 11, it says they were more noble. Why? Than those in Thessalonica. Because they received the word with all eagerness. So the nobility that God wants to draw our attention to, this open-mindedness, this noble-mindedness in their mind was they leaned into the word. They received it, we're told, with all eagerness. As Paul came to preach on the Sabbath, as was his custom, Saturday after Saturday, he goes into this congregation and he notices something different about the people sitting in the pews. As he opens the word to them, as he opens the scripture to them, and Luke is the one who penned this, but inspired by the Spirit, he captures this. They all leaned in, and their ears perked up. They made eye contact. They were interested. They weren't saying, I hope, when is this thing going to get over? They were eager. They were eager to receive God's word, the word we're told there, which is the word of the Lord, God's word, the Bible, however you want to phrase that. The word is shorthand for the gospel. They were eager. You know, and when Jesus began his ministry, you know he taught in parables, right? And Jesus often said this before or after, and the Bible is full of these. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because, why? It is possible, we're told, to hear and not understand. In fact, one of the curses of sin is that we can see and not perceive. Hear and not receive. In fact, all of the parables, the parable that sets up the parables has been called the parable of the sower, but it's really more of a parable of the four soils. And if you remember this story, again, this is the parable that sets them all up. He says there's four types of soil. And the seed, there's a guy that goes out to sow seed. In the, you know, into the ground like a farmer. He's sowing the seed. He's scattering the seed. And it falls on four types of soil. 
And the first three do not do well. The first one, birds come, they take the seed, nothing grows. Second one, third one, they start to grow, but all of a sudden choked out, die, scorching heat, nothing. Third, fourth soil goes down deep and bears 30, 60, 100 fold the produce there. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? And praise the Lord, Jesus actually tells us what the parable means so we can listen in to the disciples. He says, well, the the seed is the word of God. And the first one, heart, heart, doesn't go down, and the birds are the devil. He just snatches it up, gobble, 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 nothing. The devil comes and just takes away what's heard. The second two, though, they start to receive the word, then the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures, all of these things, trials, tribulations, they come and they choke out the word. And so nothing bears fruit, nothing grows. They look like they're going to make it, but they don't. The fourth soil hears with a good heart, an open heart, a believing heart, if you would, a noble heart, right? A noble mind. And all of a sudden it goes down deep and bears so much fruit for God's glory. And if you connect that story, because then Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That is what is going on here. We're seeing that parable play out. Really, there's a contrast between one city and another, one synagogue and another. We have a fourth soil type of congregation put here where they are ready with open hearts and the word goes down deep. They are eager to hear and we'll see in our second point, eager to understand. And so our challenge for us here as believers in 2021, or if you're not a Christian but exploring the faith, is what kind of faith or what kind of heart do you even bring to what's happening right now? Now, you have to forgive the church. Sometimes we do have some pretty hard teaching, right? You sit through it and it's not as engaging. I hope that's not your experience here. But regardless, it is the nature of the word, not the quality of the presenter, that makes the content important for your soul. And so here, when Paul is preaching, they are eager to hear. Do you come to church? Do you come to worship? Do you come to this place? Do you come to God's word? Would you say that your posture is eager? Would you say that your posture is one ready to receive? All the movie theaters shut down a couple you know, for a year and a half, right? You guys remember that. <laughs> and so my wife and I had not seen a movie in forever and ever except our house. The other day we celebrated our 15-year anniversary. It was last weekend, actually. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah. If you're wondering where she is, she's away on a girl's getaway this weekend with a lot of women from church. So she'll watch it on the video. But yeah, 15 years. So we went to a movie together. Uh, We did a little bit of a staycation because we have some trips coming up. So we went and you know what it's like to sit down, right? In the theater when you're excited. Like you're not like, how long is this thing going to be? How long are they going to go for? No, you're like, got your popcorn. <laughs> you're ready. You're, you're ready to receive. And hopefully it was a good movie by the end. You're like, that was so great. I can't wait to do that again. I kind of picture these Bereans like that, where all of a sudden Paul is done. And you're like, wait, it's, it's over? Like, 
when is next week going to come? They relate to the word of God in such a way that they are excited to be there. They are excited to receive. They are eager. That feeling you have in your heart where, like, what's going to happen here? Because something more, far more important than a movie is happening on Sunday mornings. Like, God might show up at church and speak to you. Did you know that? Do you believe that God might speak to you through his word? God shows up. What happens if God comes to church? Well, we're told that the word of God, God speaks to us through it. So unlike a movie where it's fun and amusing, where we turn our brains off, here we turn our minds on saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me. A noble Berean faith, a more noble faith is one that eagerly leans into the word of God, receives God's word eagerly. I was born in 1980, and the church growth movement was just kicking into full gear, and something started sweeping through the churches, uh, this idea of showing movies and movie clips in church. I grew up in, like, there was a five to ten minute movie clip for every sermon. I was like, seriously, every, so you're just watching the clip, and then the preacher's often expositing the clip. You're like, what is going on at church? I'm thankful we don't do that, and if I ever show a clip, forgive me, it's okay here or there, but it became like sort of the thing you do at church. And the longer I've been a preacher and a Christian, the thinking was like, well, people are not really word-based anymore. We don't read books anymore. We got cell phones now. We're ADD. No one can pay attention to words anymore. We got to dazzle them with screens and pictures and moving action. And I thought about that. I thought, first off, Christians are people of a book. Like, if, we tra- if I train you that you can't find joy in this, that you can't enjoy that, I'm not doing a service to you as a pastor because we are men and women of the word. Like, we have a sacred book, right? But let me make another case for this. Have you ever read a really great book and then watched the movie? Which is better? Every time the book is better. Why? The power of the word, the power of your mind, the power of your imagination is incredible. And I would just challenge you, if you read this and you can't find joy, if you can't find adventure, if you can't find delight in the Lord, you're maybe watching too many movies and you've turned off this part of your mind, but it can be reactivated. You you can access and find the joy of the Lord right from his word, and he could speak to you. And the word is always better than the movie. It's always better. And so engage Jesus, find Jesus in his word, and read and sit under the word until your heart and your imagination comes alive to the glory of Christ found in scripture. Because when God condescended to us, yes, he came in a person, but he preserved it for us in his word. And we, brothers and sisters, and for our children as well, we must train our minds to be noble. We must train our hearts to receive the word. Good hearts that let it go down deep. We must have ears that want to hear, are eager to hear. We are ready to receive the word with all eagerness. The first thing we see from this text is a more noble faith receives God's word eagerly. Secondly, a more noble faith examines Scripture 
daily. Examine Scripture daily. After he says that they receive the word with all eagerness, comma, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Not only does a noble faith receive God's word eagerly, but examines Scripture daily. Now, I want to draw your attention to a few things. Back in this day, because it's a Jewish synagogue, similar to us, we worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. But the Sabbath then was on either a Friday evening or Saturday morning, but once or twice a week, the congregation would come to lean in and receive a word as part of it. There was also the public reading of Scripture. A lot of the things we do on Sundays comes out of the synagogue tradition. Once a week, once a week they heard the word, they were eager to hear the word, but something differentiates them from Thessalonica, the other synagogue. Did you see what it was? Every day they were going back to Paul's teaching and they were examining the Scripture to compare what he said to their Bibles or the scrolls in the synagogue. I, I doubt they all had personal Bibles, but they were going back and they were comparing. They were comparing what was being taught with, with, with what was written. And they were going back and forth saying, is this so? Is this correct? Is this right? They weren't simply waiting for next week to pick things up. They were going back and studying the scripture daily to evaluate and grow deeper. And because of that, we're told they believed. So the nobility of their faith is they said, yep, 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 this all lines up. I'm in. Sign me up for Jesus. This is absolutely what my Bible teaches. And here I want you to see a few things. First, Paul was teaching sound doctrine, but he was not indoctrinating the congregation. And you say, well, what are you talking about, Stefan? That sounds like semantics. If it sounds like semantics, if you've been in a congregation where they indoctrinate you, let me be very clear with you, it is not the same thing. Because teaching sound doctrine gives you as the listener the ability to compare it back to your Bibles and wrestle with it and come to your own conclusions. And that is exactly what is commended to this church in Berea, that they examined it and they came to faith personally. But indoctrination is this kind of tyrannical instruction that demands uncritical acceptance where somebody speaks it over you and says, don't question what I'm saying, but I think my Bible, no, 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 no. I interpret that for you. I will be the arbitrator of you understanding your Bibles. You didn't go to seminary, did you? <laughs> like that kind of approach. And so one of the things I want you to see, and you'll hear this from us often, the type of healthy church, a Berean type of church, a type of Berean believer, is a person who evaluates what they're receiving, not, again, they're still eager. They're not like, well, it's probably a bunch of heresy coming out again this week, you know, like, they're not predisposed to assume that Paul's far off. They're wanting to receive from him, but they're not just going to take him at face value. Whatever Paul says, if he says jump, they say how high. They're going to evaluate the word, and that's a healthy relationship to the word. It's a healthy relationship to the teacher, holds the teacher to account, because my ultimate authority is the word, Ron's ultimate authority, our ultimate authority is the word of God. And I am held bound by that and I am under the word just as much as you are. And so what we see here is a more noble faith 
I want you to feel complete permission to go down deeper, and I want you to feel complete permission to come and send me emails and say, when you said that, what did you mean? Or have you compared it to this scripture? I don't want to get into lots of Bible fights, but I'm just saying, like, you should. I think a deep faith is able to access it because if you've really learned the Bible, then you should be able to re-articulate the beliefs that you hold to. And an indoctrinated person can't do that. I've talked to many people from traditions, ask them, they say, well, you have to talk to my, my priest or my pastor, you know, because they don't really know what they believe. They know the authority to whom they've entrusted their soul to. They don't know their Bibles. And so if you're going to be a healthy Berean, a noble faith Christian, you're going to take, lean in, eager, receive it, bear fruit with it, but you're always going to compare it to the Bible and say, okay, is this what the Bible really teaches? I don't want to throw any churches under the bus, but some of you visited me and you said, man, they were like preaching sitcoms at my, they were preaching like movies at my last church. They were preaching pop songs and like the gospel according to the Beatles and stuff. And you're like, all of a sudden something snapped out. You're like, maybe that's not the kind of teaching. Like you go back to your Bible and you're like, that's not really what we should be sitting under. Because in the end, there aren't really any Berean churches. There are only Berean people. One day, God might move you from Havertown, right? And it does you no good service to place yourself under a leader that says, don't think, don't think, don't think, and then you leave, and all of a sudden, you don't know how to think. The greatest gift that we can have and give to one another is that you take this Berean spirit with you wherever God sends you for the rest of your life. The Berean is not a Berean congregation. The Berean are Berean people. Those individuals were Bereans, if you will, that, that language. Those people were more noble. I want to encourage you. Become men and women and women of the word. And I'm not critiquing our women. I actually, Luke is so kind to draw out the women in his passages. You notice that verse 12, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing. Do you see that? Look over at chapter 7, uh, verse two, 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 4, the end of 4. Some of them were persuaded, joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. Paul, or Luke likes to itemize the people coming to faith, and he keeps going back, and the women, and the women, leading women, prominent women. Earlier we saw Lydia, this incredible wealthy businesswoman. He wants to draw attention to them to say, everybody was doing this. The Bereans were not simply the men in the congregation, and this is not a problem for us. I don't believe at Manoa Community Church, but I'm hearing teaching about biblical femininity increasingly that discourages the women to do Bible study. I was watching a video the other day. One was peeling her potatoes saying, what if we spent less time taking notes in our Bibles and more times taking notes in our cookbooks? Now, Thank you, my sisters and my wife. I love you, you for your hospitality, for the way that you keep our home. You do such a great job, and men, step it up. We'll step up our game in the household too, all right? But if that is your view of the women, and women are teaching women to get out of the Word, you're just less time in your Bibles, more time making babies, please have a broader, not a narrower, but a broader view of the potential of our sisters, all right? They can be great theologians, leading women, prominent women. 
I'm not saying cancel out all the great passages about the great roles of being a wife and a mom and a homemaker, but please keep it way broader than that, my brothers and sisters. May we not bind our consciences as though this is the boys' club to be Bereans while our women are fixing us snacks, all right? That's not the kind of church we will be. That's not the kind of church Luke is commending in the book of Acts. The women are heavy hitters. The women are Bereans, too. We can all be theologians. So a more noble faith, first, receives God's word eagerly, examines scripture daily, thirdly and finally, ministers and teams as soon as possible, ASAP. And I want to tack on the end of Paul's visit to Berea to show how this third point is a commendable or noble part of the apostles' faith. Beginning in verse 13, after we're told about the high women, the women of high standing, as well as men, verse 13, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, so these are the ones that are 50 miles northeast of this town, look what they do, they travel, it says, they came there too, so there was a mob that chased them out, the mob travels two days, 50 miles came there to Berea too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, ASAP, they departed. Verse 16, now while Paul was waiting for them, waiting for who? Waiting for Silas and Timothy to get to Athens. He was waiting for them in Athens. His spirit was provoked within them when he saw the city was full of idols. Here's what I want you to see. We often call this Paul's first and second. This is his second missionary journey. There's a third missionary journey going to start in chapter 18. But to be fair, these are not Paul's journeys. Paul is never alone on his journey. He always, you know, he's the continuity, he's the thread between all of them. But on his first missionary journey, he's got Barnabas, remember, and John Mark. On his second one, he's got Timothy and Silas, who are left behind at Berea. And the moment they're parted from him, he goes 200 miles, he hops his ship, he gets to Athens, and then he says word. He's like, this is not going to work. Bring them back to me, ASAP. That's, it says as soon as possible, he wants his team back. And so we see him in the next verse 16, waiting in Athens, troubled in spirit, wondering when his team's going to get there to be with him. Later on his third missionary journey, we have Erastus, Gaius, Aristarchus, Trophimus, Tychicus. They don't get as much prominence as the other leaders, but they are all with Paul doing ministry by his side. And what we see in a noble faith and noble leadership and throughout the church is that a more noble faith ministers not as solo renegade agents, but in teams, and in teams ASAP. Paul was not a lone ranger Christian. And by the way, if you know what the lone ranger, who he was, even the lone ranger had, it said, Tonto, right? Even the lone ranger was not a lone ranger, truly. We need one another, and we need others. We need teams. And Paul, it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a tendency in churches and synagogues and businesses and organizations to build around that sole person. 
And we like that. We want that. So that in 1 Corinthians, Paul has to correct the church and say like, people are saying like, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas, I'm of Peter. And he says, what? Was Paul crucified for you? Literally, you can read like, were you baptized into Paul? I just love his sarcasm. Like, were you baptized into my name? Like, no, is Jesus Christ divided? Not at all. Because Paul was not interested in building a personality cult around himself. He was not building a sole proprietorship. This was not Paul's missionary journey, comma, Inc. This was not about Paul. This was about Jesus. And Paul later in 1 Corinthians then spends the whole time building this book about Jesus being the head and all the different parts working together in the body of Christ. You might be an eye, an ear, a finger, a hand, but none of us is independent and sufficient. We all need each other. We need to do ministry. We need to do life. We need to do it in community. We have to do it as teens. And I have a concern for the American church because I think that we like Paul Inks. And God forbid Manoah would ever become a Ron or Stefan Inc. I wanted to find a Ron as fast as I can and build out from there, right? Because it's not about one person. I am the eighth pastor at this church. And one of the things I pray for is God, help me to be faithful for the next few decades if the Lord wills until the ninth man gets here, right? It's not my church. It's not your church. It's Jesus's church. And we have a lot of churches that think that they belong to the man in the pulpit. They're founders. I had one guy tell me he worked at a church where the pastor behind closed doors said, Ted said, don't you understand this? I am the king. Whoa, ho, ho. If you ever hear your pastor say that, run. <laughs> one king. We have a lot of benevolent dictatorships. They're very nice benevolent. They're very nice dictators. But they are nonetheless. That is not the way Paul does ministry. He wants community around him pronto. He does not want to be alone. And by the way, when he starts these churches, he raises up indigenous leaders and hands them right off to those leaders. And so one of the things that makes a more noble faith and a more noble church culture is when we're not building it into ourselves. I love the way Esteban is building the worship ministry. You'll see a purposefulness where today Dan gave a little exhortation and prayer from the piano, and then Esteban might share, and then Matt, somebody else might lead a song. Even that is purposeful because we can build celebrity cultures if not around the pulpit, sometimes around the music. And the only person who gets to control the microphone is the worship pastor or worship director. Like, just look what we're doing. And again, I love the church. I'm saying this because I want to see us grow. I think that these are unhelpful and unhealthy things that we must be on guard with ourselves and we must adjust in the body of Christ in America. We build team ministry and for everything, your small group, think about this. It will crush you if you are the center of your group. Build team. Somebody else brings the food. Somebody else can host. Somebody take turns leading. The women on the women's study are taking turns leading. Let's build community where it's not about one person, where it's not about us, because one day that kind of ministry, it will crush you. It will. Because you're shouldering a burden that the body was meant to hold, not you. We must build ministry in teams. 
And as we start to wrap up and transition to communion, a few things I want to share with you. First, this is the season for our members to start recommending elders and deacons. Last year, we got a whole bunch of deacons onto the deacon board. Raise your hand if you're a deacon. Raise your hand, guys. All right, look around. Can we thank God for all these deacons? I think we added like six to eight new deacons. We added two elders, and Ron's one of them. Praise the Lord for that. And sadly, yeah. Uh, we have two elders that we take breaks after six years. They get a sabbatical. It's going to be four of us, and Ron is one of the other ones, all right? So you've got two pastors. We want more. We want more. We call them ruling elders, lay elders. We don't want this to be a pastor-driven church, but I'll let you in on how we do things here. I can hire staff. I cannot pick the elders. That is the congregation's job. And so we want to build a strong eldership team, and I need you praying, members of the church, for who God would raise up to that elder board, we call it our session. Um, reach out and send any recommendations to nominating at manoa.org because, again, I'm trying to stay out of this. I don't get to pick the elders. They don't report to me. They report to Jesus, and they represent Jesus and the congregation. And so please, 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 please engage that process because we need more leaders around us, not less. We long for that. We long to have more representation of the congregation on the highest governing level of the church. So please pray through that as a church. And wherever you are involved in ministry here at the church, don't do it alone. Do not do it alone. Every Paul needs a Timothy and a Silas. We do. And so please surround yourself with others. Paul's an anchor, and we do need anchors. I'm not saying that there's not anchors in ministry. We need people to build around like Paul's. But then please have the spirit of a Paul to say, my faith is not about using others to build a platform for myself, but about empowering and lifting other people up to give the ministry away. So a more noble faith, a more noble faith receives God's word eagerly, examines scripture daily, and ministers and teams ASAP, as soon as possible. And as I said earlier, as we switched to communion, Bereans, in the end, they're not churches. Bereans are people. And my prayer for you as a pastor is as long as God has you at Manoa, and I don't own you, but if you join here, that you would leave here. You would leave here stronger, more eager, Christian, eagerly leading into the word, eagerly examining the word, and eagerly building ministry in community and teams. That you take the heart of a Berean, that you take that noble-minded approach to the Christian faith, that this is not my idea, this is what God says, this is the noble way of building with us wherever we go to the very ends of the earth. Amen?